We are uh, going to look at Philippians chapter 2 today, trying to move back to our sermon series that we stopped just before the Advent season. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19 to the end of the chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you. Uh, page 981 is Philippians chapter 2. And then once you find that, turn left to Luke Luke chapter 5 on page 860, if you're using the Blue Bibles, we're going to read both of these passages and uh, pray together. Let's start with the passage from Luke chapter 5. This is the passage where Jesus calls, has a large crowd of people come to him and ask Peter to push the boat out a little way so he can continue his preaching. Let's just begin with verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked Peter to put out a little way from the land. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interest, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son... With a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray together. Lord, we sit here under your word, gathered here just for a few minutes to listen, and I pray to be stirred in some form, maybe for the first time, or maybe this is the beginning, the end of a a long stirring that you are helping us see or hear or move or stay still. Whatever that is, Holy Spirit, we pray for your movement amongst every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've heard the story, sometimes as referred to as the miracle at Brainerd. It's kind of an odd little story. I heard it on a podcast, the miracle at Brainerd. On December the 4th in Brainerd, Minnesota, at a Dairy Queen drive-thru, Somebody in the drive-thru decided they would pay, now this is a true story, 
they would pay for the person behind them. Probably done this or been involved with it or seen this. So the person says, hey, it's December the 4th. I don't know if they're Christmas spirit or whatever. And they're just saying, hey, I'm going to go on and pay some money so the person behind gets a free meal. Well, the person behind was so moved that they said, well, you know what? I'm going to pay for the person behind me. And they asked several of the Dairy Queen employees after this event if this had happened before. And they said, yeah, every now and again, four or five people might go through and this will happen. But this was different. This was the miracle at Brainerd. How many cars do you think went through? 900. 900 cars. It went into the next day. And somebody actually heard about it and called in and gave $80 to the to the whole thing. They 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 just guessed it was $10,000 that got paid for somebody else in order to be able to eat. I mean, that's a lot of blizzards and banana splits at the Dairy Queen, I'm telling you. But what but what happened is someone decided to be first in line. Someone decided they'd be the first domino. Somebody decided I'm in the midst of the Christmas season or in the midst of the chaos or in the midst of the culture I'm going to go ahead and and I'm going to pay it forward. I'm going to start something that I hope will continue to move. Someone was the first model. And when somebody else saw that, then they began to model that as well. So that 900 different people sort of got captured into this, this miracle. This kind of modeling effect is really what's going on here in our text. And let me tell you what I mean. First of all, the first person in line, to use our analogy, is Jesus. We know that by looking back at chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Now let's just read these together. You're already there, so just move back up to the chapter a little bit. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus operates. This is Jesus' mindset. And Paul's saying, hey, Jesus was the first one to act this way. He's the first model we're all following. And we know what he did. He, even though he was in the form of God, he didn't account equality with God something to be grasped. But he, he made himself nothing. Or some version says he emptied himself. He emptied himself into a particular form, the form of a servant. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this is Jesus. He's the first model. He's exercising humility, emptiness, emptying yourself to serve others. These are the the three primary character traits of Jesus. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, These should be your three primary character traits. This is what Jesus is doing. We're followers of Jesus. We want to follow after him. And I I want us to be sure that that, that I have your attention right here. If I don't have your attention anywhere else. This isn't punishment for following Jesus. I'm afraid too many people would say... I'm stuck following Jesus, and I mean, I'm going to try my best, but this looks awfully hard. It's all sort of like this is the penalty for following Jesus that you have to be humble. 
It's a penalty that you have to look out for someone else's interest, that you have to empty yourself and become a servant. That's not at all how Paul is trying to communicate. That's not at all in the way Jesus wants you to hear it. But so often we, we grow up in these mindsets that Jesus, he says in John 10, 10, you remember this verse, I have come that they might have life. And what does he say? Life to the full. So what's being described here is real life. This is the best life you can exercise right now. Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It seems like if instead of emptying myself, I grab for myself, then I get real life. But in the end, that's death. So this is really how to live. It's not just instructions or penalties for people who call themselves Christians, but you get a big payoff in the end. No, this is how you live right now, and the payoff can be right now. This is the best way. This is the best way to live. I love how Dallas Willard describes this in his book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. So often what is emphasized in the Christian circle is the vast, grim cost of discipleship. And certainly there are costs. However, to depart from Jesus' way of life is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures, and disappointment. A life caught in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. Caught in the soap opera and sometimes horror of what's known as normal life. The cost of discipleship is small when compared to non-discipleship. The cost of a man, the cost of a man, it costs a man just as much or more to go to hell than to come to heaven. See, Jesus didn't come down to the earth just to save us from our sins, which is a mighty great thing. He came down to say, this is how you're supposed to live your life. You guys are in the dark. So I'm coming to live a life so you can say, this is the model. This is the way you're supposed to follow in a life. And the Apostle Paul, he's next in line. Jesus paid a price. Paul sees that and he says, I'm going to take up that. For me to live, what does he say? Is Christ. To die is to gain. Paul's the next person in line. He's, he's willing to put his life down. He's willing to do all these things for other people. And we know he modeled this out in Acts chapter 16 when he came to Philippi. He crosses over from Asia, which is now known as Turkey. He comes into Greece for the very first time, and he's imprisoned. He's beaten. He's willing to lay his life down to bring the gospel to these people. And now Paul, in this part of the letter, he's looking at the people of Philippi, and he's saying, you're next. You're next in line. I mean, you're, you're saying you're following Christ, and, and I'm telling you about Jesus, you've seen it in me, now, now it's your turn. Are you ready? Are you ready to be the model so that the next person in line can see you? See, they can't see maybe as clearly far ahead, but the, they can see what you did, how you lived. And are you and I, are we ready? Is our character ready to be next in line? That's really the question I'm trying to ask this in this section. Paul began to talk about Christ-like character in chapter 1, verse 27. 
can look back there and you can see that it says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So he's launching into, okay, this next section that's going to go into the end of chapter 2. I'm talking about your manner of life. Is it worthy of the gospel? And he mentions several things in in this section. First, stand firm. Don't be afraid. Look, Philippians, you're gonna, you're, you live in the Roman Empire. It's so oppressive. It's so chaotic to the faith. But I need you all to stand together and stand firm. And when you do, hold out the word of life. Hold out the truth. Can you just stand? Even if you're not making headway, can you stand against the tide and just say, with carefulness, with gentleness, with a lowliness of spirit, here, here's the truth. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is another character trait Paul wants to work on. And there's lots of definitions for humility. I, I particularly like this one that I found this week. You are sen- If you're humble, you are sensitive to your own defects. <laughs> now, let me just say that again, because you might have said, thought, uh, he missed a word. You're sensitive not to your friend's defects. If you're humble, you're sensitive to your own defects. You're conscious of your own great corruption, and you have painful evidence to prove your corruption. But you don't possess the clear view of the defects of others. So you don't look at others and say you're an idiot. Humility. You're very You're painfully aware of your defects, but you don't have the same clear vision on someone else's. So when you get into this conversation, sometimes could feel a little bit competitive. I'm never going to look at somebody, and even if I don't say it out loud, say, you know what, you're an idiot. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. We had a whole sermon on this with a lot of grumbling and complaining. I remember that. Remember, remember when you're, you're supposed to hold out the word of life. But if you're grumbling and complaining, you're leaking out darkness. I ran into a friend who I hadn't seen before COVID started. And what I remembered about our last conversation is that he complained a lot before COVID. And then I saw him last week and I thought, you just got a lot more to complain about. And he just leaks out darkness. I mean, I'm I, I'm just weightier when I left. I didn't even say anything. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. T-. I mean, you, know, you ever get around people like that? Are you that person? Cute little cartoon. Some of you are old enough to remember the, the Charlie Brown comic strip. Uh, there's two characters, Linus and Lucy. Lucy's the older sister of Linus who's always got a little blanket. And Linus is in this little cartoon. He's curled up in a chair reading, and Lucy comes up behind him and just looking at Linus, and Lucy says this, it's very strange. It happens just by looking at you. And Linus says this, what happens, what happens? And in the final frame, Lucy says, I can feel, I can feel a criticism coming on. See, it's funny, but why is it so funny? Partially true. 
I just feel a criticism coming on. I feel a grumbling coming on. And here we are. We have the joy of the Lord. We have treasure that can't be touched or rusted or stolen. And of all people in the most darkest moments, we're the supposed to people that if you cut us open, light comes out, not darkness. Now, this isn't the main part of my sermon. This is just the warm-up part. But it's worth stopping to examine just to see you or us as a church. Just think, how's your character now? It's what Paul's wanting to do. How's your manner of life? This is what people visibly encounter when they encounter you. This is what they encounter when they encounter the church. Imagine if people's first encounter with the people of the church is that they humbly stood firm with the truth and they leaked out joy. Rather than they angrily stood for the truth and pointed their finger down and leaked out darkness, thinking they were representing the Lord. Some of you might say, well, hey, that's enough sermon today. Let's just go ahead and close that up. But we want to get to this example. Paul is transitioning like every great teacher. I'm trying to give you some concepts. And like every great teacher, after I teach you the concept, I need to give you an example. So because some people are audible learners, some people are visual learners. And he says, I've been talking about the character traits of a person. I'm going to send you two people that were next in line. And you can model your life after them. They're coming to you from me. And those two people are Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's just briefly look at these two men, pick up a few character traits, and see how you might want to follow after these men and their character. Timothy was Paul's apprentice. And it's helpful to have a backstory on Timothy. Paul, on his very first missionary journey, he goes to this area that's now known as Turkey, and he goes to a region called Galatia, which is why we have a letter called the Letter to the Galatians. It's a region, it's not a city, and inside this region there are several little towns, one of them's called Lystra. When Paul goes to Lystra, he preaches the gospel, he's stoned for it, and then they drag him outside the city thinking he's dead. And everybody walks back in the city thinking Paul's dead, but he's not dead. He's mostly dead. And so he revives somehow, and he's able to walk back into the city. Now, if I had been stoned inside the city, dragged outside the city, and was mostly dead, if I revived, I wouldn't walk back into the city. I'd try another city. But Paul, you see... His genuine concern are for the new believers inside the city, not for himself. This is what Timothy witnessed. This was his first taste of Christianity. Hey, these these people, they're sold out. Not just for Jesus, but also for me. They're willing to to risk their lives to come back and encourage and help me. That's, That's the picture that Timothy has in his brain. That's the person in front of Timothy in line that he got to see. And now Paul is sending this kind of person, Timothy, to Philippians. Imagine imagine hearing this, which Timothy got to to hear by reading the letter. I'm sending Timothy to you. I have no one like him. 
Wow. Wow. What an encouragement. I mean, I have a lot of guys around here, but I don't have anyone like Timothy. And you just want to ask, well, what made Timothy stand out? And what makes Timothy stand out is verse 20. 20, he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. I wonder where he learned that. From Paul. He got to see it in Paul. So he's genuinely concerned for their welfare. Now we know from this passage... Verse 21, and if you go back to chapter 1, verse 15 and 17, that there were people who were saying they were followers of Christ and serving Christ, but they weren't genuinely concerned for other people's welfare. They were mostly concerned for their own welfare. They were really using Jesus to promote themselves. And isn't that kind of a funny thing about serving? You have this group of people who are really using Jesus to serve themselves. And Timothy's over here. He's really serving other people because what Jesus has done to him. But outwardly, it both looks like service. I mean, in other words, you and I looking at them, they they both look like they're serving. But one person needs to be noticed. One person needs their service to be validated. You might say their service is self-service. Not not so with Timothy. He doesn't have an ulterior motive. He's not getting fuel from this. He's getting fuel from Jesus. There's a man named Bob Buford. He founded a Christian network called the Leadership Network. And he had several little sayings that he would keep in mind as he went through his Christian life. One of them was this. I'm the platform, not the show. I'm here to help leaders, but I'm not the pla- I'm the platform, I'm not the show. I love that. Especially in our culture that likes to build platforms for themselves to stand on. I'm building my social media platform so everyone can see me in that sort of environment. Bob Buford was helped, and many of us would be helped by saying, I'm the platform, not the show. Timothy is the platform. He's not the show. And so Paul is very happy to send Timothy to Philippi because he knows Timothy's not going to be the show. He's going to be the platform to show Jesus. Second critical character trait we see of Timothy here is he has proven worth. You see that in verse 22, proven worth, sometimes translated tested, like a metal that's been tested. Timothy has been tested. He's passed the test. He's been, it's been proven. It's not, well, I hope he works out. No, I've seen it work out in Timothy. He's been in line. I've seen how he's operated. Now, what, what test did Timothy pass? Probably more than one. But I think we can say in the text here, the test that we know he's passed is he's learned how to be in second place. He's learned how to sit behind the person in charge, the Apostle Paul. See, he he brought Timothy along, and Timothy had to be like a soldier under orders 
Paul's saying, we're going to go here, we're going to do that, it's going to be risky. And Timothy has to prove himself to say, okay, I mean, I'm not so sure about that. I don't even know if that's the decision I'd make, but I'm going to follow the leader. And he's proven that over and over again. So, so Tip, Paul is positive that Timothy is going to be the right person for them to follow. And I love, this is where I want to turn back to Luke chapter 5. I love this little leadership lesson in this very familiar Bible story. Jesus is teaching the Sea of Galilee, which is really more like a really big lake rather than a sea. And uh, Peter and his tribe, they've been out fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. They're on the shore cleaning out their nets. And Jesus says, hey, you know, the crowd's getting too big. If I could get somebody to get in the boat and push out, then I could teach. Wouldn't have to worry about that person barrier. So, hey, Peter, can you get row out a little bit? Okay. So there's Jesus teaching the crowd. Peter's behind. Peter's in the second seat. When Jesus is done, he gives Peter a little test. It's just a little test for Peter. Peter, I know it's not a good time to fish. I know you're tired. I know you're the pro fisherman on the boat. But I would like you to push out a little bit further and let down your nets. See, it's a test. It's not what Peter would want to do. It's not intuitive to Peter. But would you do it because Jesus says so, even if it goes against what you think would be best? And oh, Peter, he doesn't realize it, but this is a hinge moment right here for leadership for him. Is he going to say, okay, because you said so, I will. That's what it says in the NIV. Or at your word, I will. You, you hear him at the beginning, well, you know, it's not really a good time. He's got to get his narrative in, right? But because you said so, I will. And in 2021, this has been tested for everyone in 2020, I'm sure. But in 2021, some of us are going to be tested with these kinds of little tests. God's word has asked you to be someone, behave some way, do something, and it might not be what you want to do. But you're going to have to say, because you said so, I will. It's a little test, and it's got to be proven so that when you're really ready for a big leadership moment, you've been tested. Timothy had been tested. Paphroditus, second person, second model that Paul wants to send back. Now, Paphroditus was from Philippi. He's the one who came and gave aid to Paul. Now he's sending Epaphroditus back. And I want to just pick out two things. We have limited time. First of all, it's very easy to repass this, and it's very hard to appreciate the magnitude of what Paul says here. But there's five little descriptions of Epaphroditus. You see this in verse 25? My brother, fellow worker, soldier, messenger, minister. The first one is huge. Epaphroditus, my brother. Now, we don't really appreciate it, but Epaphroditus was Greek. I mean, his name comes from the Greek goddess Aphrodite. So he's the beloved one of Aphrodite. 
He's Greek. If there's anybody that's Greek, it's Epaphroditus. And in that time, Greeks put everybody into two categories. You were either Greek or you're a barbarian. Oh, you're Greek? Okay, you're high class, educated, whatever. Oh, you're not Greek, whatever that is, you're a barbarian. This, this person meets a Jewish man named Paul. And Jews had two categories for people, Jews and Gentiles. And you weren't just a Gentile, you're a Jew or you're a Gentile dog. And what I, what I want, us, want us to see in verse 25 is the dog and the barbarian became friends under the banner of Christ. These two people culturally, ethnically, probably socioeconomically, they're just as different as they can possibly be. But under the banner of Christ, they're able to look at each other and say, this is my brother. Now, my challenge to everyone here is that you would have a personal relationship like this with someone else. Someone who's totally different from you. Because you can't appreciate your biases and baggage until you know someone. If you're always just fighting against different cultures or ethnicity or the race issue or whatever by television and blog posts, you're not going to get very far. You've got to be able to come underneath the banner of Christ and say, this person's my brother, this person's my sister. That's the primary thing that, that reigns in everything else. And so Paul and Epaphroditus, because of Jesus, they were a great model. They were such a great model for other people to follow. Now, the second thing I want us to point out, and we'll close here, is Epaphroditus was a messenger and a minister. He's a messenger. He's bringing a word of encouragement from Philippi to this Roman prison cell. He's a minister. He's bringing goods So Paul, in a Roman prison cell, you don't get food unless somebody brings it to you. So they're bringing supplies to the Apostle Paul, and it nearly cost his life. And you see that. He almost died. Paul was going to have this great sorrow to say, you sent me this great man, and he died. But he recovered. Now he's sending him back. And the thing that I want us to notice most about Epaphroditus was just that he was willing. At some point, they had a church service in Philippi. A little bit smaller than this, I suspect, and in somebody's house. But they said, hey, our friend, the Apostle Paul, who brought the gospel to us, he's in need. We need somebody who, go, who can travel from here and go to Rome and find out where he is and deliver the supplies. And they won't eat them up in the process or sell them or whatever else. I mean, we got to trap somebody who's trustworthy, somebody who's willing. Anybody willing? And Epaphroditus says, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be a messenger. I'm willing to be a minister. Now, for some of us in 2021, our character is going to be tested. Of Are we willing? For somebody, it might be, are you willing to go overseas? That's possible, like Epaphroditus. More likely, are you just willing to go to your neighbor? Are you willing to talk to the person who works next to you? Are you willing to start a relationship with somebody who does look completely 
and thinks completely different than you? Are you just willing? Are you willing to be a messenger? Are you willing to be a minister? Epaphroditus had seen Paul risk his life. Now he's more than willing to risk his life for Paul. I don't know if you know this name. I hope you'll Google it when you get home. Gladys Aylward, A-Y-L-W-A-R-D, Gladys Aylward. Really one of the most fascinating biographies you could read. And some historians say she was the, she was the single most important woman in missions in modern history. Gladys grew up in England, and she had a real passion for China. But in 1930, when she applied to go to a mission agency called the China Inland Mission, she wasn't a great student. She had some learning disabilities, so she got turned down. So for the next two years, she had a willingness to go, but she didn't have that vehicle, so she worked, saved money for a one-way ticket. Imagine this, a one-way train ticket from London to the interior of China. How would you like to be on that train, 1930? All by herself. She served 40 years there as a willing messenger and minister to China. And the incredible ways God used her were just ama- amazing. At near the end of her life, this is what I want you to listen to, they asked her about her ministry and her assignment, and she says this, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done in China. I know there was somebody else, I don't know who it was, God's first choice. Must have been a wonderful, well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died, perhaps he wasn't willing. Whatever the reason, when God looked down, he did see Gladys Elward. Oh, oh, I hope this is true for Paul Phillips. Oh, how I hope it's true for Christ Community Church. Oh, how I hope it's true for you. He's got an endless number of assignments. But he's not going to make someone go. He's going to look down and and just say, "Are are you willing? Are you willing just to kind of step across the street? Step across the line, step across the office and and tell people somehow about Jesus. Can you be a platform and not the show? See, oh, how our culture is in desperate need of models to follow. Of Christ-like models to follow of people who would come in. See, we have a buffet of people who want to build the platform so they can stand on it. High school to the highest office in the land. We need an army of Christ followers who will say, I'm not the show, I'm just the platform, and I'd like to show you Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for Timothy, for Paul, for Jesus, for you, for Paul next in line, for Timothy, Epaphroditus, for Gladys, Aylward, 
were people that I've been able to see in my own life who were just ahead of me in line and were a great model to follow. And now you are asking us as a church and as individuals to say, hey, it's your turn. It's your turn. Help us to be willing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.